Hi everyone, I'm Michelle Joven, and you are listening to Time to Talk, a podcast for caregivers. This podcast is dedicated to helping family caregivers in Ontario. Through expert tips and resources, you will gain knowledge and validation for the ups and downs that come with caregiving. More importantly, you'll learn that you're not alone. It's so important to take this time for yourself. We're glad you're here. Today, we are joined by Kyle Byron, and we want to thank him so much for being here with us. Kyle is a nutrition coach and fitness pro, passionate about helping people achieve their healthy lifestyle goals. Kyle has helped over 2,000 people lead better lives through healthy eating and fitness. Today's podcast is all about how caregivers can maintain a healthy lifestyle through meal planning and healthy foods. Kyle, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Great. So, all right, let's, let's begin at the beginning. We have to get to the basics before we get into anything else. Sure. Um, let's talk about just general nutrition. Please explain to us what nutrition is and why it's important for everyone. Sure. Well, it's all about food and what we eat and what our bodies need. And nutrition is very powerful. You can take something away, some nutrient like iron, Iron deficiency is very common in, you know, new moms and and babies as well. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's very powerful. The feelings one feels with iron deficiency are very grim. It's very tired and fatigued and sad. And this is just a nutrient that is, you know, abound and, you know, it's fortified in, you know, some processed foods. And of course it's in meats and a little bit of vegetables. So nutrition is extremely powerful. And yet, hard to be consistently good at it. It seems to have fallen out of priority in a lot of families in modern times, given the economic pressures, just being busy and lack of generational education, continuing with nutrition, you know, then the internet doesn't help, but (laughs) you know, the messages around nutrition, unfortunately are convoluted and confusing and it is very, very simple. Actually, it just takes a bit of know-how and some consistency. So that's how I see nutrition. So you bring up the example of iron, which is just one particular mineral and how a deficiency in in one out of many potential nutrients can cause really difficult situations. So, um, you know, I'm getting a sense that there's an intricate balance there that people need to try to maintain. Is it easier than we think it is though to get proper nutrition (laughs) yes it's much easier than most people think it is because of again because of the internet you know you have all these complicated you know diets that are out there that are commercially driven and and certainly you know when we start to talk about uh those of us that are in the position of caregiving for a family member you know Often caregivers, they have, many of them have children under the age of 18, and then they're taking care of another family member as well. And then sometimes you throw employment in there as well. So there's being a lot asked of them physically, mentally, emotionally. So how can caregivers use food and nutrition to maintain, uh, for example, a healthy immune system? And what kind of foods would you recommend for that? Well, with regards to immune system, there are many nutrients. So it's easy to just say, you know, a well-balanced diet will bolster someone's immune system quite enough. There is a glaring deficiency like with vitamin D. So here in Toronto or New York City or anywhere in the Northern Hemisphere, this time of year, we do not get vitamin D. 
from the sun. So we can get a little bit from fortified like milks and things like that. But if you're not getting that, then you need to take a supplement. You mentioned iron, you mentioned vitamin D, and I'm, I'm, I hear a lot about vitamin D3 specifically. Um, so would you say that those are your go-to vitamins and mineral supplements? And do you believe at this point that we need supplementation and that people should be looking for supplementation? Or can we get what we need from foods alone? We can get what we need from foods alone. But if there is a, a dietary pattern that chronically eliminates some nutrients, then we have to supplement them. And we can even just say something simple like protein. So of my, you know, in my 15 years of doing this, it's only been a handful of clients that have come to me eating enough protein. And so it's this constant lesson that I'm teaching, just getting people to add, you know, protein to their snacks. That's really the fastest way to increase your protein because usually dinners, there's like enough protein there. You know, so in terms of supplements and nutrients, in terms of my go-tos, yeah, I guess protein would be one. Vitamin D in the winter, iron for, you know, new moms and any, any female in childbearing years, and especially if they're an athlete, iron is going to be an issue. And then if they have a vegetarian or vegan inclination, then it's like really important. But with a healthy, even with a moderately healthy diet, you're going to get most of the way there. It's when, it's when there's a glaring deficiency that really supplements have to, to step up and there's no one recommendation really other than vitamin D that needs to be supplemented. There's, there's not very many across the board recommendations. It's natural given the current climate that caregivers might feel isolated and lonely. That's why we created our caregiver support group so caregivers can share the challenges they are facing with others. Connect by phone or online with other caregivers from the comfort of your home. With the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, it's harder than ever for caregivers to access resources and support groups. That is why the Ontario Caregiver Organization created the Caregiver Support Group. Visit ontariocaregiver.ca today to register. That's ontariocaregiver.ca to register. When we're talking about caregivers, we're also talking bigger picture about people that might be taking care of uh, a family member or, or yes. a friend or someone that is that's sick or injured as well. And they're often strapped for time. So this is a big time. I mean, modern life in general, we're often strapped for time, right? Just all of us, we mm -hmm. all feel, but in, in the caregiving situation, because you're doing so much, we're, we're at the point where we don't have a lot of time for ourselves or everything that we need to get done in a day. So let's talk about meal prep because- okay. And I do not excel at this thing called meal prep. So I want to talk to you about this. So how sure. can meal prep help ensure proper nutrition while we are so on the go? And do you have any sort of tips that you can include that what should be in these meals that are balanced and beneficial? So when I think about meal prep, just to start, I think about, you know, spending all day cooking and then there's like the food containers all over the place and you're filling them up. And am I on the right track with that? Let's talk about what it is. <laughs> Well, there's a few different methods of batch cooking or, or food preparation that are efficient. The ultimate is, you know, you get all the Tupperwares and you make like little meals and then you can just throw them into your lunchbox or just eat right out of that container, microwave it or whatever. So that's like the, the ultimate, like taking it all the way. Mm -hmm. But efficient food preparation can also be just something simple like making dinner, but make extra dinner. So you have leftovers. And even that some people are not doing that very simple thing. And that's just like, if you're, yeah, just make double the, the portion at dinner yes. 
and have enough for the next day. Yeah, because the oven's already turned on or the fry pan's already hot. You have to wash those dishes anyways. You might as well fill it all, fill it all up as much as you can. That's right. So that's just, that's just even just taking things sort of one day at a time. So just thinking about tomorrow's lunch, for example, as opposed yeah. to, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, batch cooking everything on a Sunday. But for example, for you, how often a week do you do this? And, and is there anything in particular that someone would need or how they should plan? Well, yes, I've, of course I do this because nutrition is very important to me and I don't like going into the fridge and having nothing handy. So right now there's leftover chicken breast, there's some green peas in there, there's some leftover pierogies, there's a leftover smoothie that I made, and then there's a few odds and ends that I can grab like cottage cheese and there's some like ham and Swiss cheese in there and a bunch of other stuff. And then, so sometimes we'll just make a meal and we'll just eat it <laughs> like while it's mm -hmm. hot. But on Sunday, of course, and it just happens for me, my schedule, and most people it is, it's, it's Sunday. Yeah, we'll just get out the the big casseroles and I might make uh, like a big chicken with like Brussels sprouts and onions and carrots underneath. And then all the juices from the chicken run down over those vegetables and, and cook that. And that sounds good. Or I might do like a big one pot meal, like a giant chili. And then I can freeze like 80% of that and then eat, you know, some of it, you know, while it's fresh. That's, that's a great idea actually. And, and it's not necessarily, uh, and you can put these things in the freezer, I assume as well. So you can eat them down the road. Yeah, most things you can, you know, leafy vegetables don't freeze very well and a few other things, but, uh, you know, and I have recipes, of course, if anyone wants to reach out to me and get some uh, recipes for one pot meals and all that, that stuff. I, I have all that. So, and I think this is, you know, this is an important thing to, to point out because I think a lot of people think, oh, I just like, I need so much stuff just to even get started on this. But I love your advice that you can just think about making enough for two meals when you make one meal or, or something like that. Yeah. So that's a great way to look at it. And I assume, you know, the biggest benefit of meal prep outside of your controlling, because I'll tell you what happened to me this morning. I was short for time, uh, did not eat before I, uh, after a workout, before I left the house. And I had like great oh, okay. goals for the day, nutrition wise. So I stopped and got a cappuccino and a croissant mm -hmm. and that was my breakfast. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. There goes that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that was not what I planned to have for breakfast this morning. And right. I didn't plan because I didn't have anything readily available. I went a little bit off track and it's great to have treats, but it's not going to fuel me the way if I had the right amount of protein or something like that, I assume would, or fiber for that matter. <laughs> Everyone's busy. Mm -hmm. Caregivers are busy, single CEOs, guys and ladies are busy, you know, students are busy. And so batch cooking and food, like efficient food preparation is for everybody. And yes, so I don't have to have a plan for my three-year-old's lunch. I open the door and I'm like, okay, it's either chicken or ham, Swiss cheese, maybe when I'm gonna get those peas in there, maybe a leftover pierogi, mm -hmm. throw that in the microwave, done. And then you don't have to think and it's done. That's it's right. a little bit that's of right. just, oh, I just got to put these components together. And that's what mm -hmm. I call it component batch cooking. So I have like a tray of chicken breast that goes in the oven. And at this, while that's cooking, I boil like a big cauldron of broccoli. And then I might also throw in the oven while the chicken breast is cooking, like some squash or sweet potatoes. And then I have components, protein, carbs, vegetables. Right. The fats are easy. They're just condiments like butter, olive oil, like chipotle mayonnaise, 
So I, I mean, I like that one. And so it's safe to say that you're ensuring by batch cooking and planning and having all those components there that you have all your macronutrients as people like to call them. They're all there. All yeah, so macronutrients are just protein, carbs, fat, and alcohol, the only nutrients <laughs> you can derive calories from. Yeah, alcohol is a macronutrient. Alcohol is a macronutrient. You're right. You're absolutely right. From a scientific perspective, it's seven yes. calories per gram. Okay. Uh, fat's so, nine, and the other uh, protein and carbs are four calories per gram. So I assume, so we've talked about how meal planning helps you maintain a healthy diet. It helps you uh, save time especially on those days that you're very busy, but I assume that it also helps you save money as well. So can you touch on that? Absolutely. I was, I was hoping we were going to talk about money because batch cooking or really just cooking in general, you're going to save a lot of money, you know, especially if you order like from these delivery services, they really, you know, jack up the prices. Um, you know, if you make your own meal, a healthy meal can be around like $5, like for an adult. And if you're using legumes instead of meat, you can get that down to like a dollar per meal. And of course you can't do that at a, at a restaurant. No, that's pretty impossible. Uh, so that's great. So there's huge benefits of that. And it's something that people should look into in order to sort of help tame their schedules and make sure that they have the fuel they need for their day to day and take care of themselves. That whole thing that you said about, you can't, you know, yep. pour from an empty cup. Let's make sure everyone's cup is full. Their oxygen masks are on so they can help other people. Um, I think that's great advice. Um, but now, the thing is everyone, but Michelle, everyone knows that. They all know that cooking is less expensive and they all know that cooking is more efficient right. and they all know it's more healthy. And yet. And so yeah. why? So why do you think people kind of veer off the course of doing this? I'd like to, I'd like sure. to find out because I do it a lot. <laughs> so some of them are not veering off the course. Some of them, so I mentioned generations. So some of them grew up without being taught how to cook. Even if their yeah. mom or dad were excellent in the kitchen, that may not have been passed down. So skills or mastery. Human beings hate doing things that they are not good at because there's mm -hmm. this constant inner critic saying, you know, you're, you're going to screw this up. So the people that I work with, my clients, if they're not good in the kitchen, cajoling them and encouraging them to cook is a very psychological, difficult process. The amount of decisions that have to be made. So, okay, Kyle says, go buy some broccoli and they get to the grocery store and there's two or three kinds of broccoli that can paralyze someone right there. They're trying to be a perfectionist. They're trying to get the right stuff. And so I say things, well, don't worry about it. Just get, you know, it doesn't matter. But some things do matter, like how much the chicken is cooked. That actually does matter. So there's these nuances. And so becoming, going from like not cooking at all. And I have clients that have not turned their oven on in five years or wow. 10 years. And they don't own a single pot or spatula. And that's quite common, more common than you might think. And so to get that person cooking, it is, it's not easy. So, so I didn't want to brush over that. If you are listening and you're not a good cook, be kind to yourself, pick something simple and just be prepared for it to go wrong, but just give yourself some practice and you eventually can become an excellent, confident, safe cook. It just takes a bit of practice and a lot of self-compassion. I, I can completely relate to what you're saying. I mean, when I think about people, some people not having turned on their ovens or, or use their stove in five to 10 years, I mean, that is obviously feels more extreme to me, but like you said, more common than I think, but I really had to teach myself how to cook and I didn't eat the best meals for a while because yeah. of it, but I started to figure out what I liked and what I was good at. Great. 
you just have to pick up some cookbooks. You don't even have to get a cookbook at this point. There's like yep. limitless resources on online, but there's great cookbooks out there. Yep. There's cooking shows. So it really took me just sort of wanting to eat something that didn't come from a box or a yep. package and wanting to take control of things like that in my late teens and early twenties. So I, I can relate to what you're saying. And I think that is, it's just about learning those. It's a life skill. It's a really important life skill, but it's not something that everyone in our society has been set up to learn, you know, just yep. like financial literacy or something like that. Um, literacy in the kitchen is one of those things that some people are just missing and it's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's just something you just gotta, gotta dive in and try. Yeah. Very well said the, the comparison to financial literacy. And so now high schools are starting to think, Oh, well maybe we should teach this. And yeah. you know, there used to be home ec and now there's not home ec in all schools. Like, and, and there should be home, home economics is like where we learn to cook, like how to scramble yeah. an egg and how to sew. I can still sew because of my grade eight home ec class. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. So let's, we, we touched a little bit on, because we're both parents, we touched a little bit about kids being parents yep. and nearly half of all caregivers who are care, taking care of other people, other family members or, or, you know, someone else external yeah. to their children also have children under 18 years of age. So again, that's layer upon layer upon layer of responsibility. So often at dinner time, things need to go over well with the entire family, as I'm sure you can relate. So when it is specific to kids, what do you think should be on kids dinner plates or lunch or breakfast for that matter? Well, it should look the same as like an adult eats with similar ratios. Like they should have protein and vegetables and healthy starches like sweet potatoes and, and, you know, fats like, you know, olive oil and avocados and almonds and all that stuff. But what should be on a child's plate? It's what the adults are eating in terms of healthy food. And then when the adults decide to have a pizza night, the kids should have the pizza. Right. And I do try that. My son's five uh, and there's definitely things. He has a fear of trying new things as I think sure. happens a lot with, with, uh, children. Everyone. But, but, you know, the thing, you know, we, we decided real early on that we thought we should eat together as a family, mm -hmm. um, that that was important. And we decided also that it wasn't going to be all the time a meal for myself and my husband and something separate for my son. Cause talk about burnout, especially when we're talking about caregivers, yes. if they're taking care of somebody, taking care of themselves, taking care of kids. And now they got to make 17 different meals mm -hmm. for everybody. I, I assume that's a, that's a dangerous path to go down. <laughs> you know, the picky eating gets Let's involved. Talk about that. You want to talk about that? Okay. I want to talk about picky eaters. Yes. I think it's very important. So what I'm about to say is it, it hurts to hear sometimes from the parents, because if you already have kids and you're listening to this, you're doing your best and you didn't know. So we're all doing our best. Yeah. So the, the rules are this. Parents decide what the child eats. Children do not decide what they eat. Okay. Never, never. And as soon as you start catering to them, it's over. All right. So if I ask my son, hey, what do you want for breakfast this morning? That's a no. <laughs> you can try that. Yes. However. What child is not going to say pancakes, waffles, yeah. chocolate milk, <laughs> candy? Like if, if they've had any of those foods, that's what they're going to say. Yeah. And then you say, but then you have to say, no, yes. now you've already got a confrontation. Right. So okay. instead you say, would you like oatmeal with protein powder and blueberries and almonds? Or would you like scrambled eggs right. with veggies? Right. 
Okay. That makes sense. We do, we do waffle Wednesdays. <laughs> we get waffle out of the way, whole grain, as good as we, but we get them out of the way like one day a week. It's like, okay, it's waffle Wednesday. It's your waffle day. Yep. So that's, I guess, one way of catering to, but, but so that's what you're saying for picky eaters. It's just, that's what's in front of you and you're not getting anything else. Yes. Unless they have, you know, they're on the autism spectrum or they have right. like a texture aversion, like a clinical situation, okay. of course, exceptions there. Okay. Uh, and by the way, we had waffles yesterday. There you go. You're in the, uh, in the household. So there you go. It's, it's treats. Uh, yep. It's all in moderation. So, so parents decide what the child eats and then children decide how much they eat and if they eat at all. Okay. I like this because I am not a clean your plate person. I just tell my son, good. is that good? I say, make a good effort. <laughs> yeah, sure. Make a good effort, which yeah. leads things open into interpretation. But then I'm like, did you make a good effort? And then he has to sit there and think about it. And he's like, okay, two more spoonfuls. So at least that allows him to make that decision. Yes, because we're trying to develop appetite awareness in our children. And then they grow up as adults. And then, and as a healthy eating adult, they might go to a cocktail party and then there's hors d'oeuvres being passed around and they're like, nah, I'm not that hungry. Or they are really hungry. Or if they play sports, let's say it's a young female athlete uh, who's under a lot of, as young females are, they're a lot under a lot of pressure to look a certain way with regards to their body composition, but they're very hungry. They're very hungry. They're playing sports all the time. They need to eat yes. and not be afraid of eating. So letting a child start eating when they want to and stop eating when they want to at a specific mealtime, that is the healthy way to feed them. They'll develop intuitive eating and appetite awareness. But if it's between meals and they're like, oh, I want a snack. Parents say, no, we had, you know, last meal was this time. You chose not to eat, which was fine. Okay. Next meal is in two hours. You'll be fine. You won't okay. die. <laughs> not, yeah, not between, uh, you know, three o'clock yeah. and five o'clock. That's, you're yeah, going to be okay. We, parents are not short order cooks. Yeah. We have other things to deal with, uh, as you mentioned. Now, if you're a parent and you're listening to this and you're not following these rules, it's okay. You didn't know you have your own, you know, sort of style. And to transition like a five-year-old, like if you're like, oh, I'm going to do what Kyle Byron says, I'm going to transition. You're going to be in for some fights for like a couple mm -hmm. a year as you transition to this new system. And, you know, that's okay. It's, it's okay. It's a process. It's a, to change, to change family eating dynamics. It's tricky. It's, it's stressful. And, you know, it, it can take a year. And I am assuming, you know, what applied to what we were talking about meal planning before just can be applied to families as well. The same sort of thing. It's, 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 you know, it's not a one size fits all sort of thing, but it's just about, I think we used to call it leftovers, uh, Yeah. <laughs> right? Meal planning. <laughs> it's just, it's leftovers, but we, we should all embrace that idea of having that available to us when we're busy and it works yeah. for people of all ages as well, I assume. When it comes to someone that is a caregiver or anyone that is under, you know, quite a fair bit of uh, mental or emotional or physical demands, do they need to look at anything additional in terms of nutrition and how would they determine that? Well, the more demands that are on the human body, the more benefit you'll get from healthy nutrition. Okay. And that, that can be, you know, being on your feet all day. So you'll burn an extra, maybe a thousand calories, just sort of walking around, doing laundry, picking up children, 
walking around, going shopping, being on your feet. So you need to eat more. Mm-hmm. And you'll also sort of burn off like the micronutrients. So you'll need a higher quality diet as well. Okay. So supplementation may come into play there a little bit more potentially. Sure. sure. So let's talk about greens powders, for example. So okay. greens powders, they're like dehydrated, chopped up vegetables in a powder, in a container that costs like 50 bucks. And so if your nutrition is really devoid of fruit and vegetables that day, so maybe breakfast is cereal, lunch is like ham and cheese sandwich and dinner is craft dinner, greens powders would be yes. a, a wonderful supplement to take that day because you had no vegetables or fruit. Right. That's a great idea. When you were just saying, if there are more demands on the body um, on the day-to-day, if you're on your feet, is this where the concept of intuitive eating comes in? If you're hungry, eat. Yes. <laughs> in short, yes. Okay. Can, can, can you round that out a little bit more than I maybe so ineloquently explained it? But can we talk yes. about that? Because this, this probably comes it. into play for in, intuitive eating essentially is a concept that you brought up before that really does apply to caregivers, I think. I don't think there's any sort of magic formula. It's just, if you know that there's a lot that's being asked of you physically, specifically, but also mentally, you're probably going to need more nutrition. So like you said, intuitive eating is really something that they can go with. If you're hungry, eat, right? If you're hungry, you should eat. And that is intuitive eating, which also says, if you're bored or stressed, and you think you want to eat food because it's fun, you should not eat that food. So intuitive eating goes both ways. It encourages people to eat that are hungry, like young female athletes who may be scared to eat, or caregivers who are on their feet all day, and they think, well, I'll just skip this next meal because I have to do this other thing. Intuitive eating suggests if you're hungry or very hungry, or like feel famished or starving, which is like a sort of a controversial word, but if you feel like extremely hungry, you better eat because you have to take care of other people. So intuitive eating helps us eat the right amount of food and at the right times. Now with mealtimes being like whatever breakfast and snack and lunch and snack and dinner, like there's ample times for most traditional sort of modern families to eat. So you're never going too long without food, but if you had to, like if you had to go eight or 10 hours without food, you just make the next meal a little bit bigger your stomach will tell you to eat a little bit more. And if you listen carefully and you stop eating at the right time and you aim for feeling satisfied, not full, you can maintain a healthy weight just by listening to your body and listening to your appetite. And again, this is something that has been lost. The Ontario Caregiver Organization has created a series of free webinars to help caregivers in their role. From financial planning for caregivers to mental health, these webinars provide support and resources to caregivers across the province on a wide range of topics. Our goal is to help ease the everyday stresses and challenges of being a caregiver. You're not alone. We're here for you. Register for an upcoming webinar today at ontariocaregiver.ca. And you touched on something I think that's also very important, which is the flip side of not eating enough, but it's stress eating when you're, or eating because you're bored, probably yeah. more, more relative to the situation we're talking about, the, the idea of people that crave food or crave things when they are stressed. Is sure. do you have any tips to sort of manage that beyond, again, just not doing it, like assessing that you're just, okay, I'm just doing this because I'm stressed or mm-hmm. what's a good way to manage that? Well, that's a good question. And it's, it's quite involved. So we're talking about stress eating, which is very real. Um, 
so humans like being soothed. So stress eating, you know, the way to fix it is like, I just took that deep breath right there. So obviously you're taking lots of deep breaths, not skipping meals, making sure your snacks have protein, making sure you're eating healthy meals, drinking enough water so that you have to urinate every one to two hours. Those things reduce cravings. You can do environmental controls, like getting the junk food out of the house. So in COVID times, a lot of my corporate clients move their office to home and their nutrition just goes out the window because they're just constantly exposed to the treats that they only used to be exposed to those like a few hours a day. Now it's like all the time yeah. and they don't have the willpower to get them uh, to say no to those things. There's too tempting. And so obviously the question is, well, why don't you just tell your kids to like not bring that stuff in the house? And some parents don't want to fight that battle. Some parents do and they clean house and then everyone's healthier. Not everyone has that uh, fight in them. Okay. Um, that, I mean, that's, that's, it's really about controlling, you, you, you know, it is something that you can control in your environment in terms of what the food is in your health, because I get it. Once you're, once you're at home, if you're stuck working at home, wandering into the kitchen, I mean, there's a lot of chocolate in my house right now. And it's, mm-hmm. <laughs> I try to limit myself to like one piece a day or two, but I know that I can do that. So I guess it's, it's just about really sort of, because I also put it around the framework of it's, it's a treat. So I'm going to, okay, I'm going to have my treat now because right. everything else has been good during the day. And now mm-hmm. it's time I'll have my coffee and I'll have my little piece of chocolate and that's the way it goes. So, yep, yeah, no, that's, right. that's excellent. That's excellent advice. Um, and, and a breakdown of the situation, because I think, you know, we are looking at situations for people where their, um, overall load day to day, um, is a lot. And sometimes it's just like, I don't want to make that one extra decision of like what's here and what's not here. Um, uh, but that overall should be just looked at as something you can control. Right. I like to think so. I have a photograph of some egg whites and broccoli that I ate one day for breakfast when someone else in my household decided to make pancakes. And I, and I just, just to prove a point to my, my clients, I didn't want pancakes. I wanted to make a healthy choice. And so you can say no, it can sometimes be hard, but I like to just think into the future and that future could be 10 minutes from now. I'm not going to feel good having eaten that or regarding my body composition or, or whatever. So stress eating can be managed even if the junk food is in the house, but it is obviously easier if the junk food is out of the house. We also have to differentiate what are trigger foods versus what are treats. So I can have a bag of Skittles in the house and I would have maybe two a day. And I would make those little Skittles last and they don't trigger me to eat the whole bag. But if there are ginger snap cookies or wine gums or French cooler donuts in the house, I am in big trouble, big trouble. Fair. And so I don't keep those foods in the house. In fact, I hardly ever eat them ever because they have such triggering impacts on me. And so we have to have a list. Everyone should have a list. These are my trigger foods that I can't control. These are my treats that I can enjoy in moderation. And I think, you know, we really, overall, we want to look at food as much as possible entirely in a positive light. We're looking at nutrition as making the right choices to fuel our body and our minds for what we need to do every day, right? So I think- 
Is that something that for your clients, you always want to bring everything back to about looking at food in sort of a positive light and what it can do for us? Not to disagree with you, but I, I go okay. both ways. So, okay. so, so yes, when you look at like a nice, like cut of like roast beef and you know broccoli and sweet potatoes, you do want to have an association like this is good for my body. This is like iron and protein and vegetables and vitamins and minerals. Yes. You want to know that and really have like a passionate, like feel for that. Mm -hmm. But you also want to look at things like, you know, alcohol and say like, okay, that's dangerous. And like, there's addiction problems there. And you look at, you know, treats and be like, I want that, but it's like a quick win and I'm not going to feel very good. And I'm trying to lose weight. Do I really want that? So there has to be like, you know, the expression, like touching a hot stove and there's that negative sort of reaction. I want clients to have a visceral negative reaction when they see food that is not good for them. Okay. Okay. So then, and and, and just to make sure that they feel as good as they possibly can, and they're able to achieve what they need to achieve in a day, they're making those right choices. Yeah. And like clients that come to me, they come to me because they could not handle their nutrition on their own. Okay. Right. And so I have to get them to think about things differently and sort of look at like onion rings and be like, I want you to think of that as an actual threat to you, like as a threat to you, like running out into traffic kind of thing. Like there should be like a, Ooh, that's, that's a dangerous thing. And it just can give clients a pause, just that one second pause to be like, wait, do I really want to eat that? And as soon as you stop those impulses, then your cognitive processes can kick in. You can make a decision of whether you want to eat that thing or not. And we eat treats in this household. Okay. And I'm not saying you never have to eat treats, but Every, everything that I eat goes through a decision process. Okay. All right. And I think through talking through all of this, through talking about the meal planning, about what we need to have on our plates, whether or not we need supplements and when, I think what we're doing is arming caregivers with the knowledge that they need to sort of help start making those decisions for themselves and being prepared for their really busy lives. And we've talked about things like intuitive eating and stress eating. And that sort of brings me very neatly to what I wanted to ask you next, which is why is our diet connected to how we feel emotionally and mentally? We've definitely talked about how we feel physically, but what's the emotional and mental connection to from what we eat to how we feel? Well, first of all, there's a biological component to that answer where you know, when we eat, there are positive brain chemicals like dopamine and serotonin, like that go into our, across the blood barrier in our brain. And, and then we automatically feel better. Just like if we'd taken an antidepressant or like a narcotic, like we, your brain has no choice, but to feel better because those chemicals are there. So food does that. Even just satisfying hunger, there are appetite hormones, you know, insulin goes up, those things feel good. Can you recommend any particular foods that might help to reduce stress or anxiety? Yeah, you know, there's some research on depression with, you know, omega-3s like that are found in cold water fish or you take, you know, fish oil supplements and vitamin D and, you know, you can sort of look at that. Staying hydrated and eating protein with each meal and snack are two things that are first of all, not done very commonly. Like most clients are dehydrated. Most people I meet are dehydrated and they're not eating enough protein. So when, when you're eating well and your blood sugars are normalized, you do feel better. It's quite stressful from a blood sugar perspective and from like, just like a chemical anxiety perspective, it is quite stressful to be very hungry and to push it too far, to feel hunger and ignore it. 
you're going to feel like acute bouts of stress because your body's trying to get you to eat. Okay. And you're a big proponent of fitness as well, moving our of body. Um, let's talk about the connection between exercise and serotonin sure. and what that might do for anyone really, but specifically for caregivers that you know are in sometimes a more taxing physical mm -hmm. and emotional state. Well, it's not what it might do. It's what we know clinically without the shadow of a doubt, exercise makes us feel good. It's these higher heart rates from moderate to intense exercise that really push these uh, neurotransmitters and hormones through that make us feel good. Okay. So we want to elevate our heart rate. What specifically would be the benefit to boosting serotonin? You're just a happier person. You're able to handle stress more easily. You can make better decisions. You're more cognitively smart. You're less likely to lose your temper. You know, That's exercise is so powerful. Like in terms of stress management, exercise would be like a 10 out of 10 recommendation and nutrition would be like a two out of 10. Okay. That's, that's really important to know. And I know personally, you know, my, I'm a morning workout person. So, so if I ever have that day where I don't manage to get my workout in, in the morning, I feel radically different. Mm -hmm. I find, because I think my body's also now looking for that at that time of the day, like around yeah. by 7am. But I know that it does, it, it just changes my outlook on the day because it gives you a feeling of accomplishment. If nothing else, but then you also get the physical and the neurological effects, I assume that you're talking about as well. I want to talk about the fact that caregivers are often providing transportation to their care recipients. So they're driving them around to appointments and things like that. And then we're, you know, in the car all day or on transit or something like that. What are some healthy snacks for those that are on the go and what should caregivers avoid? when they're in a time crunch. So I guess like a good way of thinking is, I mean, you've talked about the whole protein component. So let's talk about mm -hmm. something that's a healthy snack that is portable. Yeah. And then also I'm going to assume my breakfast today is a really good example of what not to do, but we'll get to that in a second. Let's talk okay. about what to do. <laughs> All right. So a cappuccino and a croissant, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. If, if you're at Starbucks, you could have got some egg bites. I was not at Starbucks, but that's okay. Hortons also has all, them, but, but I digress. Neither. I was, I was at an independent cafe and it was an all pastry situation. So yes, the egg bites are good. <laughs> it was an all so, pastry. That's funny. Okay. So traveling. Okay. You ready yeah. for this? Yeah. Okay. The best thing to have when you're traveling is a smoothie. You make it in advance. You can either freeze it and chuck it in the car or you keep it cool in a lunchbox or something. So a smoothie is basically got all the components of a meal. So if you think of a healthy meal, it's got chicken, broccoli, sweet potato, and like butter or, you know, olive oil, protein, mm -hmm. carbs, vegetables, fat, they're all there. Right. So a smoothie for the protein, we use protein powder, or you can use Greek yogurt or cottage cheese. For the vegetables, I use baby spinach. For the carbohydrate, I use bananas. For the fat, I use peanut butter. And then I add some chia seeds for fiber, some ice cold water, zip that up. And that is a perfect feeding. It's like super nutritious. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's that. It's very close to the one I make too, actually, now that I think about that. You could do a sandwich. Sandwich is not bad. Sandwich and some carrot sticks, that's, that's pretty good, right? Okay. Uh, you could do, you know, there's power bars and all these bars. They're not great. They're not going to kill anyone having one or two, you know, they're delicious. You have that with a glass of water or like some a reusable bottle of water. 
And, and so there's like a, a hierarchy, right? So number one would be the smoothie, number two, the sandwich and vegetables. And then you got like the, those meal replacement bars. And then below that you're like pulling over and you're getting like hamburgers and fries, obviously when the family decides, Hey, we're all doing this. We're at super burger on the uh, highway 89. We're getting this, we're doing this, we're pulling over. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so, so there it is. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is, you know, plan ahead. So you have something that has at the bare minimum, you want to make sure you're having something that has some protein, some fiber, um, and, and things like that. So, so you mentioned like adding the carrot sticks in with the sandwich, then that gives you a little bit more of the nutrients that you might need. The smoothie is a great all-in-one. I assume they need to pack their water with them as well so they can stay hydrated during the day. So is it sort of just taking a look at what you can throw in a, in a Tupperware or in a container and just making sure all those nutrients are represented? Well, yeah, I mean, that's it. Right. And so you have these paradigms. It's like level one choice, level two, level three, level four. That's how I teach it. And so like level one is your best choice. Like if someone is like, okay, we all made Caesar salads for the car and like, here they are. And you pass them out in the car. It's like most families don't do that. No, We do that sometimes okay, because we just, that's how we roll. But if it's just going to be protein and something else, you could just do, oh, here's some Greek yogurt. And like, there's a bit of jam in it. That's fine. Or you could do plain Greek yogurt and like a piece of fruit. You can do like hard boiled eggs and maybe tough in the car, you know, like a sandwich. Yeah. So you're trying to get like your main things like protein and something else. If you just give fruit as a snack, it's not very satisfying. Right. So you could do do like apple and almond butter or peanut butter or something. So you could have those two together, right? That would be better. Close. Nuts are mostly fat. Ah, okay. But yes, it is better. Like an apple and almonds is a better snack than just an apple. Okay. That's where I was getting at. But good to know. Not yeah. enough protein though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's okay. one of the most common mistakes in nutrition is that people choose nuts when they're trying to choose a protein. This is one of the most common things. Okay. Uh, nuts are primarily a fat. Okay. All right. That's good. Yeah. That's all really good advice. We're getting towards the end here. So I wanted to ask you, what is one thing that you want caregivers to take away from this podcast episode? Everything starts with self-compassion. If you want to change, you have to not be too hard on yourself. You have to say, okay, I want to change in my life. I want to eat better. Okay, how am I going to start that? I guess I could start cooking a little bit more. And self-compassion has to be there through the whole journey of change. There's just plenty of resources out there. You can ask a friend or you can like go on the internet and just start, just start cooking more and experiencing it using intuitive eating listen to your body. You can only give from a full cup. Even if you're, you know, very, very, very busy, there's still a lot of benefit from taking a little bit of care of yourself with exercise and eating right. And it's going to be an investment for the next day and the future. Taking time, a little bit of time. It doesn't have to be a ton of time. I mean, I'm assuming if someone even just elevates their heart rate for 15 to 20 minutes a day, if that's how they can start, or they start by adding in more vegetables and more protein and drinking more water, it's the yep. baby steps. I assume if they just try to make a start with that self-compassion that and, and not having to feel like they have to do everything perfect all at once, that probably oh is a great place to be, right? Yep. Very well said. You would just want to pick one or two things at a time and and start to move the needle, as they say, just start to make some changes. And again, the internet and the the, the diet programs out there do not advocate for that. It's got to be all or nothing. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Okay. 
That's great advice. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. It can be baby steps, right? It's yes. much more sustainable. Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. We appreciate it so much. And where can people find you? You can Google Toronto Nutritionist and you'll find Kyle Byron uh, that way. Obviously my website, Kyle Byron Nutrition on Instagram, Kyle Byron Nutrition. So I'm out there. Okay. We're glad you're out there. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can access more details about support services on our website, ontariocaregiver.ca. Until next time, I'm Michelle Jobin, and you have been listening to Time to Talk, a podcast for caregivers. We hope you have a wonderful day.